Hello friends, and welcome to Silo Busting. I'm your host, Kenji Ross, a strategist at EPAM Continuum. I've had some pretty good undeserved fortune in my life, but one of the great pieces of luck was coming of age just as the internet became a viable place to live and work. My professional internet career began in earnest in the early 2000s when the term Web 2.0 was gaining steam. Today you'll hear Web 2.0 defined as the rise of social networks and user-generated content, but that's not how it appeared to us web developers. We thought of Web 2.0 from a technical perspective, the, the move from static HTML pages to dynamic ones that loaded from databases, uh, the ability for submitted information to be processed without page refreshes. We, we took a technical perspective, and it took a while for us to notice the cultural shift. Like they say, if all you have is markup, everything looks like a rendering engine. Well, it's 20 years later. Everyone has Web3 on their minds, and it's easy to see some parallels. Talk of the blockchain and decentralization and right-clicking JPEGs is appropriate because it reflects a nuts-and-bolts focus on what's going on, but the real test of Web3 is still to come. How will the makers of culture approach it? What might they dream up? These are big questions. Luckily, EPAM loves big questions. Today on Silo Busting, we've brought a couple experts to introduce us to the promise of Web3. Erica Moretti, Head of Strategy and Innovation and Physical Experience for EMEA at EPAM Continuum, and Alexandra Sasha Pitkevich, EPAM's Blockchain Lead, in conversation with our producer, Ken Gordon. Hello, Erica and Sasha. I'm very glad to have you on the podcast today to talk about Web3. Welcome. Good day. Nice to hear you, Ken. Nice to be here, Ken. Hi. Great. This is going to be an exciting, exciting uh, episode. Now, let's begin with something that Gavin Wood once said. Gavin Wood once described Web3 this way, less trust, more truth. Can you two talk about what EPAM's specific definition of Web3 is? And we can start with you, Sasha. Well, I think you can. Uh, yeah, I admire the words of Gavin Wood. And also, I like the approach towards that. Because, you know, since like uh, the very early history of Internet, we always had like, like we had uh, Web 1, where we had the number of servers and the number of clients who were reaching those servers and getting the information. Like uh, Web 1.0 was like Internet of Information, where uh, the servers uh, were owned by their owners and the whole information and the whole infrastructure of Internet was owned there. So all the users were like consumers. Then gradually like time come and we had Web 2.0, where that's appeared with the rise of the social networks. Well, first it was like the site personalization, then social networks, where we see the internet, where infrastructure is still owned by the server owners, and information is divided. The major part of the information uh, is owned by the users. Uh, all the content we create in the social networks are all the uh, client relations, like uh, you can see, you can think about YouTube, Facebook, even WhatsApp, where you manage your uh, partner and client connections, where you create a lot of data, but this data is still stored on the servers and still owned by the owners of those servers. And if they decide something, or if they occasionally become unavailable, you don't have your data and you don't have your reach of your partners, customers, friends, whatever. So 
the client here creates the data, brings business value, but does not master the connections and doesn't own its uh, data. And that's uh, the day of today. And today uh, we do see, like, especially last year, we witnessed a lot of uh, problems here, a lot of mistrust, a lot of broken connections where uh, the servers owned by the uh, big corporations, big institutions, businesses, uh, either uh, like protecting the information, either acting uh, in their interest, in some cases they're acting even in the interest of the clients, but they own the data, they manage the data, and they manage the connections. And uh, we frequently hear about the uh, individuals and the companies being disconnected from internet, about the information being removed by the server owners, and that creates the major mistrust. And that was basically the reason uh, where I believe Gavin uh, looked at that. And a lot of other people, like Gavin is not the only one. There's uh, a lot of uh, movement nowadays for internet where the owners of the data manages that, where they are truly owners. They're not only creating that and then losing the connection, but uh, being truly owners and also paid fairly for the creation of this data and especially for usage of this data. So on EPAM point of view, we are looking to Web3 is the new generation of internet where the uh, infrastructure and the data are owned by the creators of this infrastructure and of this data and also uh, paid fairly by the creation of the usage uh, of this data and usage of this infrastructure. And normally, uh, we believe, like, I'm I'm the lead of IPAM blockchain practice, so we really believe that the financial layer, the settlement layer for all those financial interactions lays with the blockchain solutions. Erica, do you have anything to build on to that? Sure. I, I, I do believe that uh, the idea behind of what Gavin was saying is connected to those movements Sasha was mentioning before, which is uh, redressing society's balance between trust and truth, right? So to put simply, uh, Web 3.0, it's a decentralized ecosystem based on the blockchain, right? So platforms and apps built, they wouldn't be owned by a central gatekeeper anymore, but rather by the users themselves who would earn their ownership stake by helping develop and maintain those services. I guess Gavin refers to the truth as having less intermediates that manage your data and your creations and your access and connections today into moving to a more many-to-many -many open channel and open interactions. Now, we talked a little bit about um, centralization and decentralization. Can you tell us the difference, Erica, about the difference between these two concepts, centralization and decentralization? Yes, as uh, for what Sasha was explaining before, right? There's a centralized view right now. Platforms, infrastructures, data, they are owned and intermediated by uh, some companies, right? That use that on your behalf or on the behalf of companies. So in this case here, decentralizing means that data content services would shift from being present in servers and platforms from few companies to be distributed in a homogeneous way through a connected network of people and devices. 
So let's say that everyone could take the control and the ownership of their data and the web itself. Sasha, uh, anything to add to that? Well, I can uh, explain that in a very simple words. I mean, when we interact uh, over the website or mobile, where we interact with the any application and internet, we basically either request, either put data there. And now this data is what? In majority of the cases are stored on a, some server uh, or cluster of the servers uh, in a cloud. And those servers are owned by the certain company who has the system administrator who needs to manage those services. And well, if server is unavailable or if the system administrator manipulates that, which is actually his job, right? Uh, well, we as users become vulnerable to that. And there's always like, you know, this, it's like many to one or many to small group of the servers if, for example, we are doing load balancing. But, and that's the centralized concept where the majority of the users are coming to one server, one database, and were probably to database connected to something. But, but it's again, it's just connections and like connection can be always broken. And when we are speaking about the decentralization, that's your connecting to the service, which resides on many, many servers. And you actually cannot predict in advance on which server you will be added up. And those servers are managing the set of the data simultaneously together. And you can look at that as like the copies of uh, your data are on each server. Okay, there are much more like like much tricker the technology concepts behind this. But for the simplicity, you can just see that you have hundreds of the servers which maintain the same data set. And that's unpredictable which server will answer you. And this unpredictability is important because if it would be predictable, that can be that we manipulate the answer. Because if I know that I will answer to this particular customer, I can probably substitute the answer or manipulate the answer. But when it's truly random, that's not manipulative. And even if some system administrator would like to manipulate the data of one of the servers, all other servers will have different copies of the data. And they would be managed by different people, different companies, and that would be immediately clear where the wrong information is. That's why that, that facilitates the trust. And I hope that's easy to understand. <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I like to think about that as um, you have a central intelligence as opposed today, as opposed to a collective intelligence that what is Web3 facilitating right now. So you can use the power of many to actually uh, open up very new interesting scenarios. And it's important to understand that when it's like, uh, when it's a combination uh, of many, there's no one who is in the lead. It's very important that they are independent, but they are together, which means that there is no central party to generate the you know leading opinion. It doesn't work like this in true decentralization. Uh, it really democratizes it. Yeah. Now, many many people are confused about what Web three really is. Can can you two talk about some of the incorrect perceptions people have out there that you've heard from uh, the people you interact with? 
Well, the probably most common one is to mix between the new metaverse concept and the, thanks to many guys uh, advertising the metaverse to us and Web3. The thing is that the metaverse, which is well, frequently uh, equalized to Web3, is actually well, not not it, uh, it's the part of the web free infrastructure. That's the presentation part. Uh, we are looking at the metaverse as the uh, combination of the different, you know, worlds, gaming worlds, visualizing worlds, augmented reality, virtual reality worlds and realms, uh, which are created to interact with the user. We are speaking about user interaction. Architecture-wise, we are speaking about the presentation layer. When we speak about Web3, we are speaking to the complete internet infrastructure, which consists like the presentation layer is the very top of that. There is always middleware, there is a backend, and there is an infrastructure layers. And in the concept of Web3, all those layers are being decentralized. And when we are speaking about metaverse, we are speaking about a rich, interactive presentation layer of internet. Mm. Yeah, I guess all those elements, right? The metaverse itself, uh, NFTs, crypto, um, they have been frequently associated to the concept of Web3, right? There are elements present in there. As Sasha was mentioning before, It's in, the metaverse is one interaction layer of that. There are many more elements and the potential of that could expand much beyond the metaverse itself. And that's exactly what we, we, we're here for, to make sense of the whole potentiality of the Web 3.0. I also can add here that, again, when we're speaking about Web 3, indeed blockchain is a vital part of that because it's enabling, you know, this money relations uh, for all the parties interacting in all the layers. But also, uh, while we're speaking about blockchain, it's a very, uh, very common misunderstanding because blockchain is only cryptocurrencies. And that's not it. Because indeed, the cryptocurrency and the whole concept of, of tokenization is the core concept of blockchain. But we also speak about blockchain when we're speaking about uh, distributed uh, transaction processing. When we're speaking, and, and the transaction is not always about money. It's, it can be about data. And when we're speaking about the user data and about the centralized processing of the user data, we are also speaking about, you know, collective mutation of the record set. And that's uh, what well, is a parallel use case to, to being paid uh, momentary, to being paid equally, to, to, to enable micropayments, to uh, enable device payments, which all are part of the Web3, but also a mutation of the data set uh, across like where the different legal entities are participating is also the part of that infrastructure. And in a majority, we see the misconcept where the people immediately think that the blockchain is equal to cryptocurrency. Right. Yes, and that's the whole part of digital identities as well that you were mentioning before, right? This mutation of, of data can reflect as well in a new ways to look at that data itself. Uh, we can speak about sovereign data, or we can speak about the different digital identities that might be taking shape 
and changing the way you look at customers or you look at data or you use that data? I would say that the digital identity or uh, self-sovereign identity concept, it's more relates to the uh, to the data, like uh, to the information ownership. And here we also see a lot of concepts, a lot of technology concepts in blockchain, like uh, zero uh, security level, where basically there's a new concept to identity and also part of the Web3 stack, where uh, we can store the information, like the, the identity relevant information at the user and present for the identification, for recognition, who is this user, or for matching the identity in a net uh, with the identity of the person, not like using the derivatives of the data which is stored only on the user devices. That's the totally new concepts and actually change in the way of the internet right now. Because currently, the majority of your identity information is stored on the servers. And uh, when it's stored on the servers, it can be stored and it can be manipulated, it can be deleted. Like, you do not control that at all. You register on the server, then the server stores everything, and you just provisioned your information, uh, your, your credentials to access that. In the concept of self-sovereign identity, you store your identity data on your device. And that's either like what? That's either a personal device, either your computer, but you store it locally. And you present for authentication only the signed uh, derivation of this data. So uh, you present that for authentication moment, and then and then that's it. You 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 get an access, and you do not copy your personal information. You do not send your personal information. You do not transmit your personal information. Only derivatives of that. And that also revolutionizes the, the whole identity aspect uh, within Internet. And that's the vital part of Web3, too. Wow, that's, it's, it's fascinating and complicated. Can you explain, both of you, uh, why Web3 matters right now to business and to our clients? And let's start with Erica on this one. Sure. It does actually opens up many new possibilities for new business model, new services, new ways to interact with customers, right? So think about one of the major problems of companies is uh, segmenting their customer base or understanding um, the data they have at their availability to the creation of products and services, right? So if we take Web3, Starting from Web3 and those elements that, that it, might, uh, it might support to understand the data, imagine that uh, you, as a customer, could uh, decide which data and how to share that with a brand. And therefore, direct-to-consumer relationships can be created out of this, which is another big issue for many of the companies, especially on B2B. So you would have the direct access to the end users. And potentially Web3 web could facilitate that, or it can become a new way to reveal what omnichannel means, right? Addressing, yes, D2C, but also new channels that can be considered for offering services, for creating new revenue streams, for including the end consumers or the end users in the creation of products. Right, so you open new contributor, consumer business models that do not exist today. So we, we called that in, in one article we did, 
um, made to be to me, right? So uh, how you could actually create this relationship that goes both ways, right? There are many examples on different industries. So if you take advertising, for example, imagine yourself being paid for your contribution in the web for the creation or interaction with content, for purchasing uh, or visualizing an advertising. Or imagine companies involving the users both in the creation, the sharing, and then consumption of those advertisements. Or, of course, this opens up a lot in hyper-personalization, taking us, for example, um, the discussion we are having about uh, identity, right? So imagine sharing some of biometric data with a fashion company that would then manufacture an archive piece of collection specifically to a specific person. Uh, they would know how the measurements and preferences are changing, and, and they would pr propose to you to co-create offers according to, to what you have shared. Or consumers that could contribute in the creation of new collections, being co-investors of those collections. Or uh, it, it gets very interesting uh, in, in the health space as well, right? Being able to access your uh, electronic patient record or your... Uh, health data everywhere, you could share specific data with, as for example, an insurance company, a healthcare company, in exchange of a personalized health treatment. In the case of uh, having a chronic disease or having to manage a specific processes related to your own health. So it actually opens up a very interesting scenario for businesses. And there's a need to review the business model, to understand the channels and to consider Web3 as a way to, to expand those channels and expand the interactions you might have with your final users and with the brands that will be present in, in that decentralized environment. So it changes completely the game potentially. For me, the complete change in the game in Web3 economy of like in a new internet concept is the rise of the power of the communities. I'm a big fan of DAOs, decentralized and anonymous organizations, which enables the true community-driven businesses. And that introduces nowadays like the new way to look at the business where motivated individuals combine their efforts in reaching certain business goals. And they're interacting in a safe uh, environment where they know like by default by the agreement they would be paid fairly and they are not limited in expressing their wishes or their like you know investments and uh, here i'm speaking not only money but more about the ideas and about like driving the business so we are entering the air where uh, there are no geographical borders because like, well, we are speaking about the digital community that's not even always possible to control from where the people are. And in many cases, they can be anonymous, but they are motivated and they are shaping the community around a certain service and they're able to provision those services. Like basically they're motivated to provision this service in like most effective way and they decide themselves. We can look at the early concept of a Swarm City, which is a platform where 
everyone, and it can be individual, they can be a group of individuals, it can be also a business, can register their service and can get the data analytics on their service, can provision the service and can process the payments on that network. And basically, that's that's endless possibility. And this also lowers the plank to enter the business. You don't have to have a lot of uh, investments upfront of starting the business. And also being excellent in your business idea, being excellent in your business administration. So for me, it, it revolutionized the idea of business relationships. They appear to be flexible. They appear to be much more granular. And they appear to be truly motivated. And that's for me, like the nice future. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, and, and, and I guess you just put uh, on focus a very interesting aspect, which is, shall we be looking into new organizational models within the companies to be able to manage this change? Or how could those organizational models be to make sure that they are community-driven and they manage these new types of relationships they would be creating? Another interesting topic you've, you've mentioned is the Swarm City. Imagine that at uh, a city or a government level, what could it be, right? Using the collective power of the different communities to actually manage, create, and access a new set of uh, public services or, or public needs. You could be influencing uh, legal, um, you could, influencing, could be influencing policy and the way you tackle some of the emerging problems we have in mobility or related to health, public health, or, or other connected uh, topics. So there's a very big and exciting uh, space there to review also the way we organize within the companies, within the cities, the governments, uh, the communities to actually support this to change. What step should our, re- our listeners be doing right now regarding Web3? You've said a lot of interesting things today. Um, for people who are new to the concept, what would you suggest they do next? Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, it really depends of uh, in which part of the game uh, our listeners are. But I suggest that, like, you know, to, uh, well, to digest the concept. Because I used to, to explain to people what it is, like the decentralization concept and decentralized processing. And uh, my observation is it takes time. It takes time to realize the potential and it takes time to, to really and truly understand because Eric is absolutely correct thinking that all, uh, all the uh, concepts we used to like company, like business, like government, like uh, many regulatory organizations and like the rules, they need rethinking. Because basically, what well, the phenomenon exists, and what is the company nowadays that started to be a little bit blurry? Because is that the uh, organization where you have contract you are working with? And if you don't have the contract, means that you are not within the organization, you are not a part of this organization structure. How to be with the communities? How they should be organized? And the community shape is also flexible. How to be with the governments and the taxes, where the majority of the business is done in internet and the payments are done in a cryptocurrency. And where all of this needs to be digested. And uh, and then, I mean, 
I do believe that the majority of our listeners uh, would be excited about uh, the participating in that. And then you can do the self-education and you can start to familiarize yourself with the basic mechanisms of that, okay, at least to create uh, like the crypto wallet and to understand how economy works and, and become more aware of where you leave your digital footprint, mm. where your data is stored and by whom it's being managed. I believe that that self-awareness is a, uh, is very fruitful for every individual and for every business. Yeah, and I guess um, you're right, right? There's a lot of digestion to be made to understand this concept and, and start considering this as one of the possible directions for uh, brands, businesses, organizations, thinking about new models. There is a lot of sense-making to be done. Uh, and each single company or organization might find a unique way of leveraging that. And this is where exactly we can help with. So I would start by understanding how to look at this as a new possibility, a new channel, and how to position the brand in the right way might be a next, a next good step on this. So this means uh, generating a new long-term revenue stream or a new relevance for people, but still, uh, the different organizations can find their unique positions in this uh, Web3 possibility. So I guess it starts by that, making sense of that technology. I probably will add the last word saying, bank on communities. Let's bank on it, guys. Thank you so much. This, is, this has been really informative. I appreciate your time, and uh, I think our, our listeners will uh, have a lot to digest. So thank you. Of course. Thank you, Ken. Happy to be here. Thank you, Ken. This has been Silo Busting, a podcast from EPAM Continuum. EPAM Continuum integrates business, experience, and technology consulting, focused on accelerating breakthrough ideas into meaningful impact. Why do we do this? Because real opportunities aren't siloed. Thanks to Erica Moretti and Sasha Pitkevich for their great conversation. Cheers to Kip Palalis, our sound engineer extraordinaire, for getting this podcast recorded. Applause to Ken Gordon, our producer, for all his masterminding behind the scenes and his interviewing in the front. I'm trying to turn that into a mullet joke, but it's not coming together. I'm your host, Kenji Ross. Thank you.